shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakewood, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, this is it, and here we go in another great episode of Inside EMS. I'm going to say it. Yes, I'm going to say it. We have 15 days, 15 shopping days left till Christmas. And here's a guy that's on my Christmas card list, but all the way at the bottom, Kelly Grayson. <laughs> Kelly, how are you? I'm fine, man. I'm 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 wounded that I'm at the bottom of your Christmas card list. I thought you were. I thought you had your own Amazon shopping cart ready for me. Yeah, uh, buying I do. Cool stuff. I do, but it's a Christmas card that's at the bottom of the list. And the way that I, that I'm, works I'm out on is the, on the loose leaf paper and crayon Christmas card list. You're absolutely I? right. And that I mean, you're at the spot where if I have any left over, one goes to Pitkin, <laughs> one goes to Pitkin, Louisiana. But how you doing, man? How things going down there in the? I'm uh, good. I'm good, man. I finally have, have finished some writing projects and, and uh, um, have a little off my plate. And now I can take up the next writing project and, and move on to the next deadline. I'm just tired. I'm a tired, tired dude. You can't be, you can't be uh, stagnant, man. You, what you need to do is you need to take a couple of weeks off. But I don't know if that's in your dictionary of success. But no, speaking not. about writing projects, Kelly Grayson, there is something that I ran across that I think we need to shamelessly plug. You went ahead and uh, put out a new version of your book. Let's go ahead and talk about that really quick. It might make for oh. a great uh, a great stocking stuffer out there for the you EMS are, folks. You read you you read that just like I wrote it. I Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, no, I um you know my my book had been out since uh, two thousand four uh, and had been picked up by Kaplan Press, a division of uh, of Simon Schuster Publishing, and and they they. Uh, um, sold it for a few years and then, um, uh, shut it down, shut down the division that sold the books, uh, that, uh, that all those books were published under, uh, and kind of orphaned us, uh, all the authors and, and EMS and, and healthcare bloggers that they had, uh, uh, gotten books from. So I, uh, last year got the, the rights reverted to me. So I decided to republish, uh, my book in route in uh in anticipation of uh publishing the sequel um right here before christmas so in the sequel will be coming in a couple of weeks i would like to get it done uh in the week before christmas but uh if not it'll it'll be right around christmas time but in the meantime uh you can now actually find copies of my book uh in its original form uh with all the deleted chapters uh, on Amazon, uh, both in Kindle and print format. So, uh, buy that and contribute to the double wide fund so I can put my, uh, so I can sign on that, uh, fancy double wide I've had on, on my, my list for a long time now. That's right, man. So contributing to Kelly Grayson's retirement and what's the name of that book? Kelly Grayson, the man, the myth, the legend, but only in his own mind, that's <laughs> uh, the slug only in his own mind. That's right. Uh, 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 number one on your charts, number one in your hearts. Um, actually it's called in route, a paramedic story of life, death, and everything in between. Uh, and it's available on Kindle, uh, and, uh, in print format through Amazon and, uh, soon to come to uh, major booksellers nationwide. So, well, I hope in the uh, sequel, there's something in there about me and, uh, you don't have to give me a whole bunch of time, but, uh, I do expect to be an honorable mention, but well, I'm proud of you, man. Be, I know it's, I know how hard it is to develop a book, man. And I gotta say, is. You know, your your book has been, uh, since 2004, a lot of people have picked that up and read it. 
and I'm excited to uh, uh, know that there's a sequel coming because you know you know we joke a lot, but you you are one of my favorite uh, writers. You, you're very entertaining. Uh, you put a, a a very unique spin on the things that we uh, see every day, and uh, you know it, it gives you a chuckle when you uh, you know when you read it. And uh, it gives kind of a new perspective as to what we're looking at and how we're going about our business. So I do appreciate that style. I appreciate that, man. I, you know, that's one of the things I set out to do when I wrote the book. Well, I, I wasn't setting out to write a book in the first place. It was kind of catharsis uh, going through a rough time in, in my life. And uh, um, I just started, I sat down and started writing. Um, and one story became another and became another and became another until finally my partner on the ambulance said, what are you pecking away at on your laptop there? And I let her read a few stories and she handed it back to me. She said, you really need to see about making this a book. Uh, and, and that was the first time I'd thought about it. So, uh, I handed it off to a friend who, uh, unbeknownst to me, it actually started a small publishing company, Lou Jordan, um, uh, published the, the first version of it. And his stated goal was, he said, if we can get you noticed by the big boys, that's fine, fine with me. So, um, about, uh, nine months after Lou published my book, um, an editor from Kaplan, uh, was cruising EMS blogs. Uh, and noticed my blog and asked me if I'd like to write a book. I said, I already had one out in print. And, uh, he said, we'd like to purchase the rights to it. So Lou let me out of my contract and I signed a, uh, a publishing contract with, uh, Kaplan. And, uh, it was, it was good for me, man. They, uh, I, I, no writer likes to have their work, uh, edited as heavily as it was, but they, uh, and they took a bunch of the, uh, uh, the stories I thought were essential out of there. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to have been able to restore them for this version of the book. This is the way it was intended to look. Uh, and, uh, so few people got to actually read. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to people's feedback on that. If you have, I'll, I'll add this to my readers. If you have read the book already and you already purchased it, um, Please uh, write a review for it on Amazon, uh, as many reviews as we can get, and that, that drives my sales rank even higher. Yeah, so um, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and do that, but I don't know how to spell some of those words that I want to say. So I may I'll write the- it for you, okay. man. You just you just sign your name to Thank it. Thank you very much. But uh, <laughs> So for the listeners out there, just uh, a quick note. We've got two shows before the end of the year. Next week, uh, we're going to come to you at our regular time. And then the week of the 19th, we're going to discuss the top uh, stories of 2016. We're going to be joined by Editor-in-Chief Greg Fries, as always, as he ends the year with us. And then we'll have a couple weeks break before we begin again. But, uh, you know, so Kelly, we haven't done it in a while. And and there's a lot of EMS news that's going on out there. And we wanted Mm -hmm. to go ahead and bring the listeners some. So why don't you go ahead and give us our first story? Uh, this is a story, uh, that appeared just this morning, um, written by Margaret Keevney, uh, uh, rundown on the Connecticut superior court award of $700,000 as a result of an infiltrated IV line on an emergency call. This case was first heard in uh, November, 2016. The defendant ambulance company was, was, uh, Uh, tried to claim immunity from liability because of the state's Good Samaritan statute. I don't, (laughs) obviously that did not work, uh, and I don't know how you can claim Good Samaritan status if you were a paid ambulance company. Um, 
Uh, and interestingly enough, the paramedics themselves were not named as defendants in the suit. Uh, it was the um, it was the ambulance company who was sued. Uh, they did have to testify in depositions before the trial and that trial. Um, and the court found that they were negligent in the treatment of the patient. What they did was they pushed D50 uh, in an obviously infiltrated IV line. I said the paramedics responded to a diabetic emergency. Uh, they found a patient with a GCS of 6 and a blood glucose of 49. They started an IV uh, to administer the glucose and pushed it. And uh, accounts start to differ at that point. But uh, apparently they pushed this uh, glucose through a non-patent IV line. And it caused some pretty significant tissue necrosis and medical problems because of it. And, and got awarded $700,000. Apparently the, the paramedic story of what happened uh, was not found credible by the judge. And uh, she awarded him seven hundred grand. So, you know, you know our, our uh, protections under the Good Samaritan stat- statute are, are not near as extensive as we, as we would like to believe. Or even for medics that work for um, public uh, agencies, um, and the, and the idea of governmental immunity, that sort of thing has been uh, eroded in the courts over over the last generation or so. Uh, and even if you work for a municipal civil service uh, type provider, uh, your 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 protections against uh, negligence lawsuits are nowhere near as robust as you might think they are. So, practice carefully and and. Uh, do all that uh, that stuff that our friend Gene Gandy likes to talk about. You know, uh, be nice. That's the best lawyer repellent there is. Yeah, and I'm surprised there isn't more of these, you know, suits that are going on. Yeah. And when you think about some of the QI that we see within our organizations, um, you know, a lot of times we don't do the very best job that we can to yeah. take care of the patients that we serve. And, uh, you know, we're sticking them three or four times or we're intubating them three or four times. And one of the things that we, you know, that I implemented in, in my last organization was it's not about your ego. If you yeah. get two IV attempts and you miss, you're done. If you uh, pass the blade and you can't intubate somebody the first time, you're done. You need to go to a rescue airway. And one of the things that we need to do is we need to think about, you know, being able to take our ego out of patient care. I'm not saying this is what happened in this case. But one mm-hmm. of the things that we need to look at is as we go ahead and deliver care, just because we get an IV and just because we get a flash doesn't necessarily mean that that isn't going to blow. And we've got to be able that as we push a medication, especially something as uh, uh, strong as D50 could be uh, to where it's going to uh, cause necrosis, we've got to be able to make sure. One of the things that I would do before I push D50 is I would go, uh, you know, I would check the line and I would press down to make sure that I stopped the flow of uh, IV fluid before I pushed anything through that. Yeah. One of the things that you've got to be able to look at is just because you've done something the first time and it looks like it's okay, you've got to keep to re- you got to keep reassessing to make sure that it's still okay. Kelly, mm-hmm. how many times have you intubated somebody only to find out that you've you've uh, the ambulance has has moved or you've moved the patient and now you've dislodged the tube? Uh, <sighs> certainly that's happened in my career and I've done that uh, um uh, whether it was poor securing on my part, whether it was just the patient was moved, but we've got to be able to well, continue. I'm a, I'm a wizard at tape jobs, man. You can drag the patient to the ambulance by the endotracheal tube once I'm done securing it. But uh, yeah, you're <laughs> a man's your man, and that's for sure. That's boy. right. Let me tell I you take what. your point. Yes, you you have to constantly recheck. Um, 
you know, the, the, this also brings to mind, uh, to me, uh, the hazards of using dextrose, uh, 50% dextrose as our fluid for these hypoglycemic patients. You know, there are a lot of medical directors and EMS agencies who are moving more toward uh, judicious boluses of dextrose 5% and D10 uh, specifically because of this problem. Well, tell me uh, about your thought that, about that. What do you think about I, I believe it's better for the patient. Why? Actually, Why do you, you think know, it's better? Well, first of all, because D50 is so hard on veins uh, and it is so hyperosmolar a solution uh, that it can cause some some obviously bad uh, tissue damage if it, if the IV infiltrates. Uh, but not only that, it is a it is a uh, um, causes these these peaks and valleys in in uh, glucose uh, levels and and insulin production. And that sort of thing, um, and a bolus of D five, you know, a two hundred fifty cc bag of D five, is going to have the same amount of dextrose in it. Um, you can start an IV of D five, and it takes maybe three, four, five minutes longer to squeeze a bag of D five in than it would to to push an amp of D fifty. Um, yet it is a much more uh, gentle and tolerable rise in their, in their blood glucose. Uh, and you're less likely to have those peaks and those valleys, uh, uh, after administration. Um, and if it infiltrates, you know, no harm, no foul. You just, uh, you, you've got a little hematoma that will absorb and, and you, you move on to a different site. Uh, Truth be told, if I can get my patient to swallow glucose, if they're if they're uh, if I'm reasonably sure that they've got uh, um, the wherewithal to follow commands and swallow, I would much prefer to give them oral glucose and just start an IV and give D5. Um, you know, but that's my personal preference. But uh, a lot of agencies have started to uh, to go in that direction uh, and and not use D50, uh, or at least uh, to encourage the medics to dilute it before they give it. Well, interesting stuff, Amanda. Maybe we should look at some of that research. Is there research out there we can read to kind of look at that? And well, see? there's there's some research that shows the safety and e efficacy of of other solutions like D5 and D10. So. Um, I, I don't know that, uh, without looking at it right offhand that, that they have direct comparisons between, uh, D50 and, and D5, but, uh, there are places that there are, uh, studies that show the, uh, the efficacy of, uh, of the more dilute solutions at, at managing acute hypoglycemia. So interesting stuff, man. Good stuff. And yeah. I think this was a really good thing to, to, to think about. I think we think we take D50. Uh, for granted, and we yeah. think that you know it, it and is it's a, so cool to wake the patient up. Like, well, it is, know. man, just like Narcan, but <laughs> you know, it's just like glucagon. I mean, glucagon works if we give it uh, to somebody. I am. It just takes a little bit longer for it to work. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'd really be interested in knowing that if we gave something like you know D five D ten, if we allowed uh, to stay on scene a little bit longer and give glucagon, does it allow the patient to wake up? Um, sometimes as aggressive as they are, would it be more of a gradual, um, uh, you know, uh, come back to consciousness, mm -hmm. let's say, uh, so the patient isn't so, uh, scared that there's now people in his house. Uh, so interesting stuff, man. But my story came out on Wednesday and it's, uh, it's in paramedic chief and it says what EMS leaders need to know about public health. And, and we've talked about the community paramedicine transition before. And, you know, this, you know, the, the things that are in paramedic chief, 
they're really there as guidance to our EMS leadership that's out there. But as EMS providers, I encourage you to read these as well, because as you now grow and as you now develop and as you now look to the future of EMS, maybe you're going to be a supervisor and maybe you're going to be an eventual manager, mm-hmm. leader, uh, director, you know, whatever that is, you, you need to start uh, educating yourself on where the career field's going. You need to start some looking at some of that advanced leadership training and paramedic chief is a really great resource for you to do that. Well, this comes out of, uh, this is an article that talks about what EMS leaders need to know about public health. It's written by Sean Caffey, a member of the National EMS Management Association. And one of the things it talks about is it talks about the importance of public health. And as we now start to think about EMS moving into the community, and as we think about terms like population health and medical homes and medical communities, we really mm-hmm. have to have an understanding of the power of our public health department. And there is a connection between public health and EMS. And now as we start to get into more of the the primary care role instead of a you know dealing with the episode an episodic role right now what we do is we take care of somebody's problem if you're not breathing well and you have asthma I give you an updraft treatment you know as we were just talking about if somebody's a diabetic and they have low blood sugar I'm giving you D50 we take care of the episode but we don't take care of the problem so one of the things that we need to think about now is is partnering with public health because what that does for us is gives us a resource that's funded that has programs mm-hmm. available that they can get individuals in to take advantage of some of those programs. As we look at trying to get our patient the resources they need to be healthier, who do we turn to? Well, one of the most neglected resources is public health. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of public health prevention programs. Uh, they help manage disease process such as asthma, diabetes, heart disease, and trauma. A lot of public health agencies have uh, dental facilities or they have partnership with dental facilities that they can get people, you know, uh, you know, their grills taken care of. So when we think about the importance... <laughs> Did you just say grills? <laughs> yeah. When we talk about the importance <laughs> of public health in our community, not to mention, not to mention, Kelly, the programs that they have available for children... Mm-hmm. This is a funded, a state and federally funded uh, program that's not being utilized to its full advantage. So a great article by Sean Caffey. Yeah. It talks about how important public health is. It talks about you know how EMS can collaborate with public health, and I encourage everybody to check it out. If you're not a leader in EMS, well, my definition of leadership is influence. It's not a position. It's a So regardless of your position, you're a leader, but read about it, educate your supervisors, educate your managers if they didn't see it. But for yourself, it's always great to be in the know. This is a great article for you. Yeah. You know, and, and I, uh, I was, I find myself nodding my head, uh, throughout most of Sean's article. Um, I have, I've always said that, that one of the things that EMS suffers from, uh, as far as advancement as a profession is that we, we have a problem defining ourselves. Uh, we are, we're stretched out in the limbo between public safety and public health. We're neither fish nor fowl nor good red meat. Uh, and, and as far as the, the advancement of EMS as 
a profession, I've always come down firmly on the side of public health. I think that as a profession, if we're going to advance our clinical capabilities um, uh, or advance ourselves as a profession, we need to focus on the medicine that we provide. Uh, and and that medicine is more appropriate uh, as a um, provider in the public health realm than it is in public safety. Um, now, other people may disagree with that. Uh, Nancy's shaking her head right now, stating that you know she thinks that we uh, we're a better fit with public safety, and we are um, in certain aspects. You know the capability. Uh, the capability, the the you know the fact that that EMS stands ready to respond, uh, and that's what most of our our uh, um, funding is aimed at is not for the care we provide, is the ability to to respond at a moment's notice uh, is more akin to public safety. But um, you know I'm, I I tend to to focus on the the health aspects of it, and or that's one of the reasons I, I've been kind of interested in 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 hearing the success stories and the trials and tribulations of of mobile integrated health and these community paramedicine programs because I see that as a a natural branch uh, or a natural uh, means of expansion of the paramedic profession. Um, so I would as as you did, I would encourage people to read Sean's article uh, in Paramedic Chief Newsletter because it's got a lot of good stuff in there uh, about what EMS needs to know uh, about the public health sector and, and how we can contribute to, uh, to our communities uh, in that regard. I've got another story for you, and this is this one's uh, close to home, and uh, I'm glad to see this young man doing well. Uh, um, some of you may have read in the in the news recently that a 17 year old EMT student in Baton Rouge uh, was shot and partially run over uh, trying to render aid to a, a neighbor who had been assaulted and, and shot by her her uh, domestic partner. This young man finally got to meet the doctor who uh, who treated him and, and quite potentially saved his life. So uh, nice story there. Um, the background is that Daniel Wesley, a uh, 17-year-old EMT student from Baton Rouge, was driving home with his mother from a shopping trip when he saw uh, uh, April Peck lying on the side of the road. He got out to render aid. April Peck's boyfriend or ex-boyfriend, Terrell Walker, shot him and ran him over. Basically, uh, the story goes is he, he backed up. Uh, he was in the car. He backed up, and he said, are you helping her? When the kid answered yes, he shot him several times, and uh, there was an ambulance responding. Uh, and as the ambulance responded, the, uh, the guy tried to run the, uh, the EMT student over and threw him into the side of the ambulance uh, with his car, uh, resulting in a femur fracture and, and some other stuff. The lady he was trying to treat did not survive, but uh, you know this kid put his life on the line to help and very nearly paid with it. And last week, uh, Wesley met the doctor who was uh, treating him, came upon him on the uh, day of the incident, watched the scene unfold, and he pulled over after the shots were fired. Um, and he, uh, he did the same thing that, uh, Daniel Wesley did. He put his life on the line, uh, and got out in an obviously unsafe scene to render aid to another human being. So, uh, he took care of him, uh, until the paramedics could take over, uh, and visited Daniel, uh, at the, uh, hospital last week. So pretty cool story. I like to hear about those in EMS where, where the people we take care of are, are um, we get to reunite with them and, and see that they're doing well, and we get that follow-up that we so often crave, uh, uh, that we so rarely get. 
Um, but a nice story, and, and we hope that Daniel gets out of the hospital soon and, and uh, bounces back from this and continues on with his uh, EMT career. Because, uh, brother, you, you got the, the best war story you'll ever tell you got before you even got the patch on your shoulder. Uh, yeah. So keep going. Things, and one of the things we're trying to do is we're trying to get in touch with Daniel, and when he finishes his uh, education, we'd like to get him on the show and talk to him about his experience and you know, one of the things that we think about is, you know, our scene safety. And we talk about that and, you know, we're the guys that run into danger when people are running away. And sometimes we don't realize how detrimental uh, those scenes can be to our own safety. And we've got to be able to develop more of a situational awareness that mm-hmm. when we put ourselves in a position to help people, we're able to do so knowing that it's not going to be at the uh, cost of our own lives or our partner's yeah. lives. And as much as we want to help people, in today's EMS, and and you know when when, when I first started doing this in, in the mid '80s, and you know working in some of the tough areas that I worked in, you have a little bit of feeling of being bulletproof, and you kind of make decisions that you shouldn't make. More and more, Kelly, we're starting to talk about some of those calls that are causing us to get hurt. And we yeah. really now got to take a different approach. And maybe it's time that we start to think about how we're teaching situational awareness and scene safety in school, because I don't know that what we were teaching back in the day it's not. is applicable to present day. It's not. It's it's a dynamic process, and we so rarely approach it as a dynamic process. You know, when stories like this come out, uh, every EMT instructor nods their head at, at the things that we say and say, you know, we need to do a better job at that. And we need to uh, um, and and they may even change their their teaching and 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 incorporate those lessons into into uh, their their classrooms. Um, but it doesn't seem to last. Um, hopefully it does. But we, we've got to change uh We've got to shift our thinking entirely in this, and this is something that that's, uh, we need a paradigm shift in. You you say this all the time. This is your favorite phrase: "Keep your heads on a swivel," uh, but it's true. And and scene safety, uh, provider safety, needs to be something more than a mantra that we recite before the beginning of a psychomotor skill station. Uh, I guarantee you now that Daniel Wesley. Uh, for that young man, scene safe BSI is no longer words you just say before you uh, approach your simulated victim. Uh, it's something you got to live, um, and and to do that uh, well, and to, to get that that foster that sort of culture uh, in EMS uh, is going to require uh, a great deal more education, um, or at least a great deal more focus on it. Uh, in our educational uh, process than, than it currently has. Yeah, I have to agree with you 100%. But hey, that's what I think. That's what Chris thinks. We'd like to know what you think. So email us your concerns, comments, questions, and suggestions at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Don't forget to go out and buy my book. And for myself and co-host Chris Cevallero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week.